Chapter Four of The Precipice by Ivan Goncharov, translated by M. Bryant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Boris's aunt had only just begun to give him an idea of her methods of conducting the estate when he began to yawn. Listen, these are all your affairs. I am only your starosta, she said but he could not suppress a yawn watched the birds the dragonflies picked the cornflowers looked curiously at the peasants and gazed up at the sky overarching the wide horizon then his aunt began to talk to one of the peasants and he hurried off to the garden ran down to the edge of the precipice and made his way through the undergrowth to the steep bank of the volga he is still too young only a child does not understand serious matters thought his aunt as she followed him with her eyes what will become of him the volga glided quietly between its overgrown banks with here and there a sandbank or an island thickly covered with bushes in the distance lay the sandhills and the darkening forest here and there shimmered a sail gulls with an even balancing of their wings skimmed the water and then rose with a more strenuous movement while over the gardens high in the air the goshawks hovered boris stood still for a long time recalling his childhood he remembered that he had sat on this spot with his mother looking thoughtfully out at this same landscape then he went slowly back to the house and climbed the precipice with the picture of her vividly before his mind's eye in malinovka and the neighborhood there were tragic memories connected with the precipice in the lifetime of boris's parents a man wild with jealousy a tailor from the town had killed his wife and her lover there in the midst of the thicket and had then cut his own throat the suicide had been buried on the spot where he had committed the crime among the common people as always happens in cases of this sort there were rumors that the murderer all dressed in white wandered about the wood climbed the precipice and looked down on town and village before he vanished into air and for superstitious reasons this part of the grounds had been left neglected none of the servants went down the precipice and the peasants from the outskirts of the town and from malinovka made a detour to avoid it the fence that divided the raisky's park from the woods had long since fallen into disrepair pines and bushes of hawthorn and dwarf cherry had woven themselves together into a dense growth in the midst of which was concealed a neglected arbor boris vividly imagined the scene how the jealous husband trembling with agitation stole through the bushes threw himself on his rival and struck him with his knife how the woman flung herself at his feet and begged his forgiveness but he with the foam of madness on his lips struck her again and again and then in the presence of the two corpses cut his own throat boris shuddered agitated and gloomy he turned from the accursed spot 
yet he was attracted by the mysterious darkness of the tangled wood to the precipice to the lovely view over the volga and its banks he closed his eyes abandoning himself to the contemplation of the picture his thoughts swept over him like the waves of the volga the lovely landscape was ever before his eyes mirrored in his consciousness verochka and marfinka provided him with amusement verochka was a little girl of six with dark brilliant eyes and dark complexion who was beginning to be serious and to be ashamed of her baby ways she would hop skip and jump then stand still look shyly round and walk sedately along then she would dart on again like a bird pick a handful of currants and stuff them into her mouth if boris patted her hair she smoothed it rapidly if he gave her a kiss she wiped it away she was self-willed too when she was sent on an errand she would shake her head then run off to do it she never asked boris to draw for her but if marfinka asked him she watched silently and more intently than her sister she did not like marfinka beg either drawings or pencils marfinka a rosy little girl of four was often self-willed and often cried but before the tears were dry she was laughing and shouting again verochka rarely wept and then quietly she soon recovered but she did not like to be told to beg pardon Brace's aunt wondered as she saw him gay and serious by turns what occupied his mind she wondered what he did all day long in answer boris showed his sketching folio then he would play her quadrilles mazurkas excerpts from opera and finally his own improvisations tatiana markovna's astonishment remained just like your mother she said she was just as restless always sighing as if she expected something to happen then she would begin to play and was gay again see vasilisa he sketched you and me like life when tit nikonich comes hide yourself and make a sketch of him and next day we will send it him and it can hang on the study wall what a boy you are and you play as well as the french emigre who used to live with your aunt only it is impossible to talk to you about the farm you are still too young she always wished to go through the accounts with him the accounts for verochka and marfinka are separate you see she said you need not think that a penny of your money goes to them see but he never listened he merely watched how his aunt wrote how she looked at him over her spectacles observed the wrinkles in her face her birthmark her eyes her smile and then burst out laughing and throwing himself into her arms kissed her and begged to go and look at the old house she could refuse him nothing so she unwillingly gave him the keys and he went to look at the rooms where he was born and had spent his childhood of which he retained only a confused memory i am going with cousin boris said marfinka where my darling it is uncanny over there said tatiana markovna 
Marfinka was frightened. Verochka said nothing, but when Boris reached the old house, she was already standing at the door with her hand on the latch, as if she feared she might be driven away. Boris shuddered as he entered the ante-room and cast an anxious glance into the neighboring hall supported by pillars. Verochka had run on in front. Where are you off to, Verochka? She stood still a moment, her hand on the latch of the nearest door, and he had only just time to follow her before she vanished. Dark, smoke-stained reception rooms adjoined the hall. In one were two ghostly figures of shrouded statues and shrouded candelabra. By the walls were ranged dark-stained oak pieces of furniture with brass decorations and inlaid work. There were huge Chinese vases, a clock representing Bacchus with a barrel, and great oval mirrors in elaborate gilded frames. In the bedroom stood an enormous bed like a magnificent bier, with a brocade cover. Boris could not imagine how any human being could sleep in such a catafalque. Under the baldachin hovered a gilded cupid, spotted and faded, with his arrow aimed at the bed. In the corners stood carved cupboards, damascened with ebony and mother-of-pearl. Verochka opened a press and put her little face inside, and a musty, dusty smell came from the shelves, laden with old-fashioned caftans and embroidered uniforms with big buttons. Raisky shivered. Granny was right, he laughed. It is uncanny here. But everything here is so beautiful, cried Vera. The great pictures and the books. Pictures? Books? Where? I don't remember. Bravo, little Verochka! He kissed her. She wiped her lips and ran on in front to show him the books. He found some two thousand volumes and was soon absorbed in reading the titles. Many of the books were still uncut. From this time he was not often to be seen in the wooden house. He did not even go down to the Volga, but devoured one volume after another. Then he wrote verses, read them aloud, and intoxicated himself with the sound of them, then gave all his time to drawing. He expected something he knew not what, from the future. He was filled with passion, with the foretaste of pleasure. There rose before him a world of wonderful music, marvellous pictures, and the murmur of enchanting life. I have been wanting to ask you, said Tatiana Markovna, why you have entered yourself for school again. Not the school, the university. It's the same thing. You studied at your guardians and the high school. You can draw, play the piano. What more do you want to learn? The students will only teach you to smoke a pipe, and in the end, which God forbid, to drink wine. You should go into the guards. Uncle says my means are not sufficient. Not sufficient. What next? She pointed to the fields and the village. She counted out his resources in hundreds and thousands of rubles. She had had no experience of army circles, had never lived in the capital, and did not know how much money was needed. 
your means insufficient why i can send provision alone for a whole regiment no means what does your uncle do with the revenues i intend to be an artist granny what an artist when i leave the university i intend to enter the academy what's the matter with you borushka make the sign of the cross do you want to be a teacher all artists are not teachers among artists there are great geniuses who are famous and receive large sums for pictures or music and do you intend to sell your pictures for money or to play the piano for money in the evenings what a disgrace no grandmother an artist no borushka don't anger your grandmother let her have the joy of seeing you in your guard's uniform uncle says i ought to go into the civil service a clerk good heavens to stoop over a desk all day bathed in ink run in and out of the courts who would marry you then no no come home to me as an officer and marry a rich woman although boris shared neither his uncle's nor his aunt's views yet for a moment there shimmered before his eyes a vision of his own figure in a hussar's or a court uniform he saw how well he sat his horse how well he danced that day he made a sketch of himself negligently seated in the saddle with a cloak over his shoulders End of chapter four